0: (laughs) Yeah, we're talking about ants today, you remember that? (laughs) Now it's too high, too high. Okay. Before I start, y'all already know this, but congratulations to you two. Thanks, Jeremy. You're welcome. Thank you for welcoming me to your family. Yeah. um, This is just the beginning of it, though. It only gets worse when I hear on all out. <laughs> 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 uh, no, but it, it is just the beginning of the walk, you know? Yeah. And we, I don't remember who prayed it this morning, but I was thinking, you know, we're here to help one another out. That's what we should be here for, all of us. So, and oftentimes we think, you know, we do not even talk to each other from Sunday to Sunday we should be. We should be around each other, talk to one another. This is our family, you know. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we can move forward and all that and help one another in that, you know. And uh, the people with the children in row seven. <laughs> Calm <them> down. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> row seven. Yeah. Alright. Uh, <laughs> Romans. 7. You thought we're going to have a special message this Sunday for Resurrection Sunday, right? You didn't know me that long. Romans 7 24 and 25. Apostle Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? From the body of this death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. So just kind of back up a little bit here. Obviously, we're here in our dealings in Romans 7. Um, I've mentioned, I kind of got it from Lloyd Jones, but you know, 6 and 7 are somewhat a parenthesis that Paul's answering objections that would have been raised from Romans 5, first that where sin abounds, grace did much more abound, so then the objection is, well, then we should sin more, and obviously Paul answers that with God forbid, may it never be, and then also in Romans 7, he's answering the question of the law, because he brings out the law, when the law entered, it brought about more sin. And where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And he also teaches us that we're not under that law anymore. So then you got now, Paul, you really need to start answering the questions because the Jews are all about the law. So now we need to start answering the questions. So that's what he goes through in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, he's shown us that not only could you not be justified by the law, but you also cannot be sanctified by the law. Um, And we've seen that. And what we we saw in the previous weeks, obviously, of Paul... Saying the things I want to do, I'm not even doing those things. And the things that I hate, those are the things that I'm doing. And even when I want to do good, I find that evil is present with me. Or in me is what he says. So that's our context there. And then we get to Romans 7.24. And then he says, wretched man that I am. I love the KJV. It just has the word O right there first. Like, O wretched man that I am. And before I d- dive into that, i got three points today. The wretched man, the body of death, and the, the deliverer. So the first point, the wretched man. So we finally come to the culmination of the chapter. This is what Paul has been taking us to. Through Romans 7, this is where he's been taking us to. It's to verse 24 and 25. He's been answering the question of the law and showing that even as Christians, we fail and stumble and And fall. Looking to the law does not lead to our sanctification as Lloyd Jones and others have argued. The law increased sin and it was our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ as Paul teaches us in Galatians. And that's where we're at here. After dealing with the law and the fact that Paul wanted to obey the law but doesn't and in that he's displayed that the law is good and also that there was a different law within him that was waging war against the law in his mind. I think we can see Paul looking in the mirror now. He sees this. He sees, I want to obey the law and I'm not obeying it. And he looks into the mirror and what does he say? Oh, wretched man that I am. He sees that evil in himself. Let me ask you Have you been there, Christian? Have you been there where Paul's at here? When you've looked at your life and you see the things that I'm wanting to do, I'm not doing those. And the things that I hate, those are the things I'm doing. And then you look in the mirror and you're, oh, wretched man that I am. Have we been there? Can you echo the words of Paul when he says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. And in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Have you been there? You should have been. Or you're thinking either too lightly of your sin or too low of the law. You're thinking, I can keep the law. What's all this commotion about repentance, right? What, why, why, why are we talking about repentance for the Christian? Didn't I already do that years ago? I repented years ago. I repented in 1999. I'm fine now, right? Brethren, let's not let ourselves have that attitude. But let us remember that we are repenters as much as we are believers. We're always believing, I'm believing today, I'm repenting today. We still need to repent often, even as Christians. We repent more as Christians than the unbeliever does. Because the unbeliever doesn't repent. And once he does repent, he's a Christian. And then he has a whole life of repentance. That's what Paul's at here. I say all of this almost as an intro to our text here, but Paul sees that within himself, within his flesh or his body, there's a law that wants to obey sin. It's what we would call that old man. He's still there, Christian. And that's what Paul is showing us. And the law brings him out more. So in Paul's dealings in this chapter, he gets to this, that there is a law within my members waging war against the law in my mind. And this theology, or if you will, anthropology of man with the law has brought him to this self-abasement in verse 24. When he's looking to the law, when, when when somebody says, well now Paul, what about the law? And Paul says, well... What about the law? When I want to obey the law, I'm disobeying the law. And the thing that I don't want to do, that's the thing I'm doing. And even when I am doing the good that I'm supposed to be doing, I see that there's still evil present in me. I'm out here preaching the gospel, but inside I'm thinking, man, I'm I'm doing such a good job. Right? I'm laying down my life for the church, but inside I'm like, They should appreciate me more. Even when I'm doing my good, evil is present. And Paul, that's what I'm saying, Paul leads us to that in verse 24, this self-abasement. After seeing all this about himself, he has one answer. O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? So let me ask you again, have you been there, Christian? Have you been there where you can say those words? Have you seen yourself in the mirror and said, Oh, wretched man or woman that I am. This is actually a familiar scene for God's people. This isn't something out of the ordinary for Paul. This is something that's, that's familiar in Scripture with God's people. Turn with me back to Psalm 6. Psalm 6 and verse 6. This is David here. King David. (laughs) Tell me if you ever say this. I am, verse 6, Psalm 6. I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. Have y'all been there? This isn't saying he has a water bed. This is saying he's crying so much over himself and over his sin that I make my bed swim. My eyes have wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries turn to psalm 38 Verse one This is David as well Oh Lord Rebuke me not in thy wrath. Now, now, David, the apple of God's eye, right? You know, he's a man after God's own heart, right? The sweet psalmist of Israel. He says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, and chasten me not in thy burning anger. For thine arrows have sunk deep into me, and thy hand has pressed down on me. There's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger indignation there is no health in my bones because of my sin for my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden they weigh too much for me my wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly i am bent over and grieving bowed down i go mourning all day long for my loins are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh i am benumbed and badly crushed i groan because of the agitation of my heart Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my sighing is not hidden from me. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, even that has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my kinsmen stand afar off. Those who seek my life lay snares for me, and those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction and they have they devise treachery all day long. But I like a deaf man do not hear, and I like a dumb man who does not open his mouth, yea, I am like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no arguments. You see all that? This is coming from King David. My iniquities have gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. He says, I go mourning all the day long. In other words, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Could you write this song? What about this? Turn with me to Job chapter 3. Job four songs. Job songs. Job chapter three. Now I want you to remember the context of this. What did God say about Job in chapter one? He said he was a righteous and upright man. Have you considered my servant Job? He's a righteous and upright man. Now listen to this chapter 3. Afterward, Job opened his mouth. That's that's what Job shouldn't have done. (laughs) And cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was to be born. And the night which said, A boy is conceived. May that day be darkness. Let not God above care for it, nor shine light on it. Let darkness and black gloom claim it. Let a cloud settle on it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful shout enter it. Let those cursed who curse the day, who are prepared to rouse Leviathan. Let the stars of its twilight be darkened. Let it wait for light but have none. Neither let it see the breaking dawn, because it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Come forth from the womb and expire. Why did the knees why did the knees receive me, and why the breast that I should suck? For now I would have laid down and been quiet, and I would have slept then. I would have been at rest with kings and with counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves. Or with princes who had gold, who were filling their houses with silver or like a miscarriage, which discarded I would not be as infants that never saw light. There the, weak, the wicked cease from raging, and there the weary are at rest. The prisoners are at ease together. They do not hear the voice of the taskmaster. Master. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. He's talking about death. Why is light given to them who suffer, and life to the bitter soul, who long for death but there is none, and dig for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice greatly, they exult when they find the grave? Why is light given to man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my groanings come. My groaning comes at the sight of my food, and my cries pour out like water. For what I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet, and I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. That's that righteous upright man. Begging for death. Why was I even born, God? Why would you why would you bring me out of the womb, God? These are God's righteous people saying this about themselves. Have you been there? I'm asking again. Have you been there? God, why would you even have me be born? I am a curse to this land. Can you echo that? Can you echo with Paul, Oh, wretched man that I am, when you look in the mirror. Do you see yourself as the chief of sinners? The language in uh, Romans 7.24 of wretched, it means miserable or enduring trials or afflicted. It's the same word that's used in Revelation 3.17 about the church of Laodicea. Y'all know about that church, right? That's that mega church down the road. Not really. It doesn't exist anymore. But when Jesus was addressing that church, He said, I will spit you out of my mouth. Here's why. They were self-reliant. They weren't self-abased like Paul saying right here, oh wretched man that I am, they were self-reliant. Jesus says in verse 17, because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. These words could easily be said about the church in America, right? We are rich and wealthy, we are. But we do not know that we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. We think, because we're Americans, I'm autonomous, right? I'm free. I do what I want. You don't get to tell me what I can and can't do. I made all this money myself, right? I'm rich. I'm wealthy. I'm fine. We don't like this language in Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am. Actually, have a family member who says they don't like to go to funerals because they sing Amazing Grace. And won't sing that song because it says it saved a wretch like me and I'm not a wretch. We don't like that language. We don't serve an earthly monarch anymore in America, right? We're free. We make our own decisions. And who are you to say that my decisions are wrong decisions? That's our modern day mindset but the Paul the Apostle Paul who gave his life for the Gospel says, wretched man that I am. Imagine if he was here today. <laughs> He'd visit. He'd just come in. I'm just visiting the area. Comes in here today. What do you do, Paul? I travel nonstop preaching the Gospel and establishing churches. And I'm like, he's like, but I'm the chief of sinners. What a wretched man I am that was him why because he was looking to the law right he was looking to the law and when he looked to the law he saw all these things that say don't do this but i'm doing it and he had that that recognition that we should all have in the fact that if you haven't kept the whole law you've kept none of the law oh you didn't steal something today oh good for you but you lost it over something Oh, maybe you didn't lust today but but you were prideful you're guilty of it all I plead with you today Christian realize this about yourself that in in us in our flesh dwells no good thing me apart from Christ I am nothing this is our struggle Christians it's not that we have this life nailed down right and we can do it alone it's like, I got this. I'm, I'm good. I don't need help. It's, but that we, apart from Christ, and I'll actually go one step further. I think that maybe you might not, may, may or may not like this, but not just apart from Christ, but apart from the church, which is the body of Christ, you will serve sin. You're out here alone. I don't ever go to church. I don't need a church, right? You have no accountability. How are you partaking in communion? How are you partaking in when a brother or sister, when it says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness? How are you doing that, if you're never around anybody? All the one another's, you can go through the whole thing. Forsake Satan, the the assembly together. We can go through all the one another's. Where are you gonna do that at, when you're in love? You're not. You don't say, I gotta meet my Bible, that's all I need, right? You know how many people you ran into like that that are actually spiritually sound? god has given us a means by which we fight sin and those means are us not being alone but being in community you say i just need me and the holy spirit well since the holy spirit commands you to be in unity in community kind of hard to make that argument right anyways that's the side note here let's move on it says wretched man that i am Who will set me free from this body of death? The second point here is the body of death. The wretched man, now the body of death. This is what Paul has demonstrated to us already previously. The body of death, it's the members of his body that are waging war against the law of his mind. It's this fallen flesh we still live in. That's where our sin comes from. But didn't God... When He created, our bodies say that it was good. He said it was very good, right? So now you're making an argument that sin comes from the flesh, but God created the flesh and said it was very good. It was. But after the fall, we have perverted the natural inclinations of the body to make them sinful. A lot of the sins that we do wouldn't be sin if we didn't do take it as far as we go. Let me, let me give, demonstrate this. God gave his eyes. Are our eyes good? I think we'd all argue, yeah. I don't mean good in vision because some of us struggle with bad vision. Just It's a good thing to have eyes. However, what do we do with our eyes now? We look upon things we shouldn't be looking upon. We see things and we covet after them. Right? Isn't that where we go? We, we, we see something and you're like, oh, I want that. And then we look at other things that, that we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be watching. Or, and we, we see stuff out here. We shouldn't be looking at it. Does that make the eyes bad? No. God created your eyes. They're good. But you're using them wrong. Was it Jonathan Edwards and in, in, uh, his resolutions? If you never read them, I used to read them every single week. He wrote 70 resolutions. I read 10 every single day for a long time until I finally said, "Why am I reading his resolutions?" I, so I wrote my own. But in his resolutions, now this—he he comments on it. But it's actually from Job, where he says, "I made a covenant with my eyes." Um, but Edwards comments on that in one of his resolutions. But it comes from Job. Job says, "I made a covenant my, with my eyes. Why then should I look upon her?" The eyes are good, but we use them badly. Through covetousness, through lust. Solomon says in Proverbs that the eyes of man are never satisfied. This was not true before the fall, but it's definitely true now, right? No matter how much we get, we always want more, right? Hence why advertisement is such a big thing. Sin wants to enter into eye gate. How about this? Are the ears that God created good? Of course. Praise God we have ears, right? But then we use them to listen to things we ought not. Like music that is ungodly. Or gossip that we shouldn't be listening to. You know, when when you're sitting across the room and you hear so-and-so mention something about... Another person that you know, all of a sudden your ears perk up, right? Ooh, I gotta hear this. Maybe you don't. Why? Why do your ears perk up? Because there's law in your members. We could obviously deal with all of our outward members, with our hands. What do we do with our hands? Our feet. But what about our inward members, too? Something like hunger. You know? Do you think they ate before the fall? Yeah. And I believe it was good. However, we take this hunger and turn it into gluttony. So, was, is food sinful? It is not. Instead of us saying, Give us this day our daily bread, what do we say? Give us this buffet so we can gorge ourselves into a coma. What about drinking? I'm go there. Something like alcohol. What's I'm gonna say this. Alcohol can be and is used for the glory of God. We do it every Sunday with wine. So is it good? Hmm. You're here to hear too many preachers saying alcohol is good. It's good if used rightly just like food However, what's a major problem in America or in the world today? Alcoholism. That's bad. We've taken it too far. Those that overindulge in the use of alcohol. You see we pervert everything. Everything. Everything that God has given us for good, we pervert it into something that's bad. about sex Jeremy say that on Easter Sunday it was created by God to be done for his glory and he has defined how to use it within a covenantal relationship between male and female you come before God in covenant saying I will die for this person I'm going to live the rest of my life with them I need not to go into much detail about how we pervert that, right? Just try to watch almost anything on television. You'll see it. All of this comes from the body of death. God made our bodies and He made them good, and we use them wrongly. Before we get into the answer of the question of who will set us free... Let's deal with this last statement in verse 25. If you're not there, we're going back to Romans. He dealt with 24. The wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death. And then, the last statement here in verse 25. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other... With my flesh, the law of sin. This again is not Paul making an excuse to sin. But I believe it's simply a recognition that he is still living in the flesh and will have this old man with him until the one who is delivering him will completely deliver him. It's not Paul saying, oh, well, I guess I'll continue in sin. If you've come to that conclusion by this chapter, you obviously need to reread chapter 1 through 6. And if you still come to that conclusion when you get to chapter 7, you need to reread chapter 1 through 6 again and again and again until you realize that Paul is not being flippant about sin and not saying, uh, it's not me. He wasn't making an excuse. Let me say this. Though this chapter is a hard one. It's a difficult one. It's a difficult one to walk through verse by verse. is it not. But praise God for chapter 7. Because in it, I can see that God's people struggle. Now I'm not happy that we struggle. I'm not like over here like, yes, I'm so glad we struggle. But I'm happy that it's true of all of us and not just me. If it was true of the apostle who wrote half our New Testament... It's most certainly true of us. And I say, praise God, I'm not alone. I struggle. And I can see that it's a normal thing for Christians to struggle. That God, you know, God doesn't just simply save us and make us perfect. Now, there's some that teach that. But I wonder what they do when they come to Romans chapter 7. Or 1 John chapter 1. Where he says, if we say we have no sin, we make them liar." So, like I said, Paul here and in verse 20 is not deflecting blame for sin. Remember, verse 20 said this very similar thing. But is recognizing that as long as I'm here in the flesh, this old man will be here hanging around. And no matter how hard I fight against him, he will still be there. So, what's the answer to it? What's the answer to this whole Romans 7 of when I look to the law, I see that which I want to do and I'm not doing it. I'm doing the very thing that I hate, who shall save me from this body of death? Or who shall deliver me or set me free from the body of this death? Is right there in our text in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what Paul is doing. Like I said, he's, he's already told us you cannot be justified by the law. In Romans seven, he's showing us you cannot be sanctified by the law. But what does the law do? It drives. It points us to Christ, and and oftentimes we got to crawl there, right? Because the law is beating us down. Because we know I want to do that, I'm not doing it. And the thing that I, I hate, that thing is what I'm doing. And then we're at the cross again. We're at the cross again. You here who is still in the flesh. That's all of us, right? We're still in the flesh. As in, we're still here. There's only one answer to your deliverance. It's not the law, as Paul's shown us. The law inflames sin and increases sin and leads us to Christ. And that's the answer, Christ. Though we want to obey and we fail and that failure is sin, and this will... Be there in your life, Christian. This will be there as long as you're alive. I was just talking to to somebody I was working out with. And he's like, he he told me, I said, I refuse to believe that. I said, well, talk to me again in 20 years. Because I told him that this fight with sin is going to continue for the rest of our lives. And he said, I refuse to believe that. Well, in 20 years. He said, well, I don't know if I'll be alive in 20 years. I said, well, if you are, come back and talk to me and tell me how much, how you've defeated sin in your life. It will be there and it will be there more if you do nothing this is a fight but like I said we before we fight this fight is fighting a battle that's already won Christ already won that battle for us this is why Paul actually breaks into what we would call a doxology right here. He's going through and he's looking, looking at himself and seeing his failures and looking at himself in the mirror and saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, Oh, but thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's where it's going to lead you, into praise. That's what doxology is. It's just praise. It's almost as if he's broken into a song. Have you done that? I say from the very beginning, have you been there? Have you been here? Also, when you realize that as hard as I try, I fail and I mess up everything. But thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ that this is not the end for me. After dealing with law and seeing another law within his members that wants to serve sin and after seeing the evil within himself and even though I'm wanting to do good, I'm not. He comes to the conclusion that he is a wretched man and who shall deliver me from this body of death and then he breaks forth in doxology. Praise God. Give thanks to God through Lord Jesus Christ. Why? For he shall deliver me from this body of death. How? <laughs> That's the good news, right? That's the gospel. By keeping the law for me. I can't keep it. And when I'm wanting to keep it, even when I'm wanting to keep it, I don't. But he kept it. I failed. I stumble. I fall. But someone will deliver me. And that someone is God himself. When he says, And he shall save their people from their sins. And he says, And the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. He came down and took on flesh and kept the law for His people. Just like I just quoted Matthew one twenty one. it says, For He shall save His people from their sins. These, his name shall be Jesus, Yeshua. That word means salvation. His name is salvation. Why? Because He shall save His people from the, their sins. And there's not another name under heaven by which men may be saved. doesn't that sound like what Paul's saying here how does he save his people from their sins by doing what you're supposed to be doing he did what you were supposed to do he did what Adam was supposed to do that he's the second Adam the first Adam failed he was given the law he failed and brought sin into the world and death by sin the second Adam comes and he obeys and he was he bring life Then he laid down his perfect life for his people. Is what we call substitutionary atonement. There's some that have a problem with that doctrine. There's some, and I, I, I could surprise you with some of the people that reject sub, substitutionary atonement, but it's in the scriptures. He was our substitute for us, right? That's our substitute. He was, instead of me, Christ was on the cross as my substitute. And he made atonement for me. He atoned for my sins, we couldn't and can't atone for our sins. Even those in hell today will never fully atone for their sins. You know what I think about that? What about Pharaoh? You know, Pharaoh of old, back with, with Moses. Still in hell. Still paying for his sins. They, they won't be atoned for. Never. Ever. Why? Because it is infinite... It's an infinite uh, uh, breaking an infinite law, so it's an infinite punishment. How does finite man pay an infinite punishment? He can't. He will spend all of eternity paying that. However, Jesus, the eternal one, came and paid for all his people's sins on that cross. Our sin is imputed on that cross to him. He was treated as though he was the wretched man. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He was accursed and smitten by God. And by his stripes we are healed. But praise God, that's not the end of the story, right? That he just came and lived and and obeyed the law and died. and, And our sin were placed on him. And the Father's wrath was poured down upon him. And that's not the end of the story though, is it? If that's the end of the story, as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are but all men. Uh, it just slipped out of my head. People around the world today are celebrating what they call Easter. I prefer to call it Resurrection Day since Easter was actually a pagan holiday. But we are celebrating Resurrection Day. Why? Because He rose from the dead. That's what Resurrection Day is for. He rose from the dead. He didn't just die on Good Friday for the sins of His people. He rose on Resurrection Day, the first day of the week, and defeated death for us. Not only did he pay for our sins on Good Friday, but three days later he rose from the grave defeating death for us. That's what we're celebrating. And that's what even the pagans today are singing up from the grave he arose. Every mouth will confess. And this is how he will deliver us from this body of death. Through that. Death, burial, resurrection. That's why when I started the service, obviously we're celebrating Resurrection Day, but this is something that we need every day. Just like we're repenters every day and believers every day, we need to reflect upon the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ every day. We ought not to go a day where that thought is not there. Honestly, we ought not to go one second without that thought being there. Why? Because we're sinners. Who need grace. And grace is found in Christ. So this is how he saves his people from their sins. But that's not all that's been given to us. You know... He came. He lived a perfect sin, sinless life. He, he fulfilled the law in our place. He died. Our sins were placed upon Him. The, the sins of the elect were placed upon the, the Son. And the Father poured His wrath upon the Son to give to His Son a bride. Three days later, He raised Him from the grave. He ascends to the right hand of the Father where He sits down and makes intercession for us. He's making intercession for us right now. We, we, see, I know we don't think about this enough. That He's making intercession for us right now. It wasn't just that He rose 2,000 years ago and that was the end of it. No, He rose to sit down at His Father's right hand and make intercession for us. And He's doing that. Because we need it. But that's still not all of it. He's also sent a Spirit to live within us. Which Paul gets into in Romans chapter 8. And he's also given us us a church. A community of like minded brothers and sisters to help us along. So, in all of this, he is delivering us, and one day he will completely deliver us from this body of death. If that doesn't lead to doxology like the Apostle Paul, something's wrong with us. Something's wrong with your heart if you don't realize without him you're dead. Without Him, you can do nothing. But He has saved us. So in closing, Christians, you have a battle on your hands with that old man. And that battle doesn't end this side of eternity. You will fight that battle. Even in that battle, though, we are more than conquered like I dealt with last week. We are more than conquerors. Because Jesus has already conquered for us through His death, burial, and resurrection. He's already conquered for us. You fight a fight that's already been won. So our response should be doxology and service to our King for delivering us from this body of death. Amen. Go to our application portion here first point here is that, like always, call to faith and repentance. And you're probably like, Jeremy, you do this every week. Well, I don't necessarily know every single person in this room saved. So I'm going to do it until I know for sure. And that'll be when we're in glory. <laughs> So to the unbeliever, to the person sitting here and thinking I'm crazy for getting up here and speaking about this person that died 2,000 years ago. I can't believe, why would he waste his time talking about this Jesus that died 2,000 years ago? Like he really rose from the grave. As I was driving here this morning, I was noticing the the cemeteries. You know one thing, you don't see in a cemetery, and if you did, you better run, is people crawling up out of the graves. But he did. He did. And as I read from 1 Corinthians 15, he didn't only come up out of the grave when he wasn't in the ground. He He was placed in a tomb and three days later come forth, but he was seen of over 500 people. What did he say to Thomas? What we call doubting Thomas. Did he not raise from the grave? Touch my hands and my side. And Thomas gives what I believe one of the clearest names on the deity of Christ he says to Jesus my Lord and my God tell me Jesus ain't God Thomas went to his grave it was his spear spear to death oh, Speared to death for believing that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and if somebody knew if it was fake it would be Thomas because he touched him I believe all the others do, did too. But if he knew it was fake, he would have went to his death. You're not going to spear me to death for something that I know really didn't happen. But he knew it happened. We're not making this up. So if you're just sitting here and you're indifferent, like, oh, I'm fine how I am. I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I'm fine without Christ. Yes, you can live a decent life here. But let me ask you, what is 70 or 80 years in comparison to eternity? A decent 70 years in perishing and going to hell. That's a waste of a life. And that's in rebellion to God. And there's a reason you're here today. And that reason is that God brought you here. No, I set my alarm because it's resurrection day and I came in. No, God brought us all here. To hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ preached. What kind of preacher would I be if I were not to preach the gospel and call for a response? It's time to repent and believe the gospel of the risen Savior. All the people giving lip service to God this morning around the world, they'll have no excuse on judgment day. You know, I, I love that. Because of this day, there's people all over the world singing hymns to God. Though they don't even know him. But one sad thing about that is they're going to be, there's some of those that might be in hell today. They might sing their songs, go home, die of a heart attack, and be in hell. They're actually increasing their judgment. By coming to church service, they're increasing their judgment. Because where more light is given, more responsibility, right? If they could have said, you know, in the third world country that doesn't have a church to go to and, the, and the, the gospel isn't presented to them, they could say, I didn't, I never heard the gospel. But you can't say it here. There's more light, especially if you're going to a church service. It doesn't appease God in any way. It says in Psalm 711, that God is angry with the wicked every day. That's today too. Oh, but they're singing songs to him. God is angry with the wicked every day. Singing songs to God does not appease God. It says Psalm 5.5, he hates all workers of iniquity. That's today too. But they dressed so nice when they came to our church service today. That doesn't appease God. There's only one appeasement for the wrath of God, and it is a bloody Savior for sin. And then a risen Savior for His people. Don't go another day without him. Today could be your last. Repent and believe this morning. Now to the believers, to the brethren here, to the church. I know this life is a battle. I'm there. Oh, but you're the pastor, right? It doesn't make it easier. I'm with you. It's hard and sometimes you feel like giving up. Sometimes it's like I can't fight this anymore. I'm beaten and broken and your prayers turn from Lord take this away from me to Lord take me away from this. Oh, if you haven't been there, Christian, you will. Thinking about going home to glory because you see all the death and sin here. I just can't wait until the Lord takes me home. Because I can't fight this anymore. And you see that this fight never stops. Maybe repeat the words of Paul in a prison cell. He says, but I am hard pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. He's in prison. And it wasn't like the prisons we have here. You know, they say, y'all probably don't know this, but you know, I've been there, so they say three hocks in the cock. So many people come in there because they get three hocks in the cot. It means three meals in a bed. They didn't have it outside, so when they're outside of jail, they break the law so they can come back inside of jail. Because inside of jail, they get three meals a day and a place to sleep. Better than being homeless, right? But now, this prison wasn't like that. Remember, they, people had to bring Paul stuff. Guess what happens when you're, you're thrown into prison because you're a Christian, and the people that are bringing you stuff, who are they going to be? Christians. So what do you think is going to happen to those people when they show up? Oh, you're here to see Paul, that Christian guy? Are you a Christian? If you say yes, you're in there with him. But he was there and he says yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. He was content, enduring long suffering for the others around him, even if you don't, can't do it for yourself. Keep fighting this fight for God's glory first and foremost, right? And when you fail, when that old man wins the fight, you know that old man, he wins that battle that you just had. And he's over in his corner over there dancing, celebrating. You walk right back over to that old man and punch him in his mouth. Now this is metaphorical. I'm not talking about your dad. And believe that whatever situation you're in right now, it will abound to your good and God's glory. No matter how hard to fight it. Even when you fail, it will come about to, uh, it will abound to your good and God's glory. And what could be better than that? The last point here called war. Paul, after all this, struggling and warring and seeing evil present in him, finishes the chapter with his doxology and this I'm still serving God. Yes, it's a battle, and yes, sometimes I lose the battle, but in the long run, I'm still serving God. Sin, you may beat me today, but I will be serving God tomorrow. I'm not going anywhere. And even when I sin, what does it cause me to do? Run to the cross. So God gets more glory even out of that. So sin never even wins. Sin may beat you today, where are you at later that day? You're at the feet of the cross. So sin doesn't win that battle either. I'll keep marching on after the glory of God and for the advancement of, your king, of His kingdom. Is that your mindset, Christian? Even after I fall, I'm gonna get right back up and I'm gonna keep marching. Is that your mindset? Or is that when you sin, you get in a state of depression that won't allow you to do anything? I can't believe I did this again. What's the good of that? Did God not call you to lay down your life for the advancement of His kingdom? There's not an option out of many for us. It's a command. To lay down your life for the advancement of His kingdom. And sin won't stop that command. So when you sin, confess, repent, and move on to fight some more. Your sin has been defeated by Christ. By a risen Christ. And that's who you're serving today. And of this risen Christ, also from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25 and 26, it says, For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. He is reigning now. Christ is reigning now and will continue until all enemies are under His feet. And He's using you To take forth the gospel message to accomplish this he doesn't have to does he I said God could write the gospel in the sky if he wanted to but what does he do he uses us to take forth that message that he has risen ascended and now he has sent us forth with the gospel message of his kingdom so let's take up the mantle and charge forth into a world into the world with it Christians and may the Lamb Which was slain, received the reward of his suffering. Amen.